Okay. <laughs> okay. Guys, okay. do we have a show for you? We got a lot of show for you. We have quite a bit of show. Uh, this is Yosef's Racist. Andrew T. Tawny Newsom, Kevin Bartell. Okay. Um, we are doing, right we're recording the, this episode, or sorry, this intro to this episode after we recorded everything else, mainly because, first of all, I worked too much this week, but then I woke up on Sunday morning and just lost my mind on Twitter. Um, so, oh yeah, we record on Sundays. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's been, it hasn't been a hell of a racism week. I guess what it has been is it's been a hell of a racism that we can still chuckle about week. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's still racist and still dark and not fun, but between open white supremacist Joe Rogan being, uh, more uh, the the discussion of him saying the n-word like upwards of a hundred times on his podcast finally like that man's just been an open white supremacist for fucking years now so it is just a little like yeah i know i fucking told you so and then also and i'm i oh this is something we should have talked about before we started uh rolling so if we have to I cut any wait. of this that is what it is but between Aquafina's uh, PR team, presumably. I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this out there. This is a theory based on nothing, and I'm, uh, I'm saying this. I just want this to be absolutely clear. I'm saying this as Andrew T, the individual only. Um, my two, uh, co my co-host and producer do not know what I'm about to say, and do not necessarily oh, endorse what I'm about so to say. So excited, uh, but I am now th off the top of the dome, thinking that. Aquafina re released the statement she should have released like years ago, at least sentiment-wise. Um, I'm actually thinking they waited for a big other, a bigger other celebrity to have a worse racism thing, and they were like, "Now's the time." Hmm. Interesting. Let's just get our our that was fucking in the drafts. PR, mm -hmm. PR statement. Yeah, they're just like just waiting. Like, who's gonna? What's gonna happen? Just like wait. Just wait for, uh, you know, people to start talking about how Joe Rogan is a fucking open white supremacist. Great. Send, mm. send, send a press release now. But, you know, Aquafina wrote a, you know, incredibly mealy mouthed, um, non-apology apology about her black scent. Um, uh, you know, we've talked about it on the show. We, I have talked about it extensively on this show before. <laughs> um, and look, I will just say like, I'm conflicted. Aquafina is a person who, probably doesn't really remember me, but has been nice to my face before. Um, but it's also a thing of like her career is in unquestionably built on um, white America's uh, enjoyment excitement. of her cultural Yeah. Excitement over yes. her cultural appropriation and yeah. her inability to acknowledge that has always been in my eye, just like a huge depressing um I don't know. I say unfortunate. I think people who, again, are not in my exact shoes would say just racist or willfully ignorant. Um, so maybe I'm being too soft on her. But um, yeah, that shit has always been like out there. And it's like, um, you know, at least she did something. She did it in absolutely the most white lady way. Uh but it's a very know. long it's a very long notes app addressing of the history of African-American vernacular English and how it is used. And it's an addressing of an understanding that I think we all just wish 
yeah, had had come years ago because the other thing is is that God, I I I'm so bummed out at how funny and talented I I truly believe that she is and how she just didn't ever need this. But of course, white people love to hear a non-black person doing black shit. So, you know, but she didn't ever need to do it. And so when it started to become pointed out to her, uh, uh, this this type of a reckoning should have come much longer ago. But in the same breath, I'm still keeping an eye on the fact that that, that's how I want to put it. I'm keeping an eye on the fact that we have all this energy for a woman of color who is, you know, basing some shit on a not great character, building a career on some not great appropriations. Yet we don't seem to have that same energy for the white men who are doing the same thing. The comedians, sure. the rappers, the whatever. We don't we don't seem to yeah. have that energy to come and, and call them in. Yeah. So I just want to keep an eye on that. And I don't it's mean a, we us. It's I mean, a web. Yeah, right. Yeah, everybody. No. Probably a little bit you know. me, honestly. Well, no. No, I, Andrew, I think you, you yell at everyone. You're fine. Um, <laughs> I'm keeping an eye on the, you know, Twitter.com, the black, the black Twitter that has almost thrown up their hands at, I'm not even going to get into naming names. You can figure out all the people I'm talking about because there are plenty that do that trade in black culture and trade in appropriation and who are mm-hmm. not black and are often male. And it's almost like we've said, well, they're not going to atone for this. They're too far gone. But her, I can pressure and make yeah. her feel bad about this. Yeah. And or, the answer or, is or just the pylon, be Yeah. The pylon is like, right. It's easy when it's a woman of color. Yeah. Which is also true. Or when it's a woman. I mean, look, and then that gets to the other part, which is like today, like as, as we're recording a couple hours ago, like Whitney Cumming, like tweeted Cummings tweet. Is this? Yeah. I hope again, I'm speaking as Andrew only, like, cause I already said all this shit on Twitter. It tweeted in support of Joe Rogan. Fucking John Stewart came out. It's just Should've like just sat there and ate your food. Just sit there quiet. All of, all of these people, like, first of all, Look, I know they are actually just comedians, but having such a pathetic understanding of the First Amendment is truly like the First Amendment is Congress doesn't pass laws that limit your freedom of speech. It doesn't mean people can't call you and the company that pays you fucking bigots for your bigotry that they broadcast. But also, it's like this is another like old saw of this fucking of me more than like like the cult and culture of stand-up comedy is so fucking disgusting to me. And I've done stand-up comedy. I do comedy now. Like I'm, I, yeah. And look, writer's rooms are not that much better, but like, um, this idea that like, it's so sacred and that just because you are holding a microphone and being talking, like doing stand-up comedy, you are, in and of itself, like saying something profound is right. so fucking infantile and like is how we protect bigots. Like this yeah. is how all that bigotry, it's like them pretending that this shit is important. Cause it's like because Whitney coming basically tweeted, yeah, like this is comedians aren't heroes. We just hold up a lens, so, you know, whatever the fuck dumb thing she said. And it's like, okay, Whitney, like, what, what in Joe Rogan saying going to a black part of Philadelphia is like the, quote, planet of the apes? Like, what, what is the dark mirror what you're holding lens? up? What, yeah, what, right. what truth is that? Is I it lo- just calm? Yeah. Like, a comedian's like, you guys are niggers. And then, <laughs> and then it's like, ooh, the lens we're holding up to society. And black people are like, 
to consider whether we're niggers? What are we doing? Yeah. Like, what is this? I don't want that. <laughs> like, if you're dumb fuck philosophy, philosophical, like, like, um, you know, ideas about the nature of stand-up comedy, do not stand up to an example of that stand-up mm-hmm. comedy being considered with your lens. Guess what? You're a fucking dummy who's just looking for an excuse to cover up bigotry. Ha! <sighs> God, I hate this Andrew specifically. <laughs> Soapboxing and- about stand-up is my worst self. Well, the whole timeline has been a trash fire today talking about her dumb comments. Again, full disclosure, this lady's very nice to me all the time. So I I don't even care to, that's not a defense of anything. It's more just like, I guess I'm just saying it because like Andrew and I exist in Hollywood in a way that's like (laughs) peripheral at best. Yet it means that we still come into contact with and often have largely lovely interactions with people who then do and say wild, not great things. And so then I'm left being like, yeah, what do we do with all this? What do, what do we do with you? I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. But I mean, I think, I think at the, at the heart, like I do stand behind this uh, truth, like again, however we want to phrase it, which is like the, the solidarity, especially among standups, regardless of the content of standup is here. Here's why it's so infantile. They have a love of like craft more than Mm -hmm. a love of content. They Mm -hmm. are the people, and this is like, this used to drive me crazy when I was like trying to be like an artist. They're the people that are like, the brushwork on this is so interesting. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, it's not. Brushwork is just a tool. Like, that's like Mm -hmm. saying this hammer is so fascinating rather than the thing you made with the hammer is so interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Or whatever. Like, it's just like, like, to me, that's it's like the refuge of like the truly like both spineless and actually idiotic. That like you get so right. involved in the craft that like like oh the brushwork on this swastika graffiti is so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like what the fuck is wrong with you? Like right. being like this like color this you know, whatever the fuck is so interesting that you can't like see like this is what it's saying is like, right. why do you, why do you, what do you like about standup? Like it's so sacred that you hold up these truths, but don't examine what those truths actually truths are. are. Like, yeah. or, or what the statements are and even evaluate whether they are true. Oh, sorry. No, I hate it. Said it. I hate beautiful. it so much. I think it's, it's very wild. It's like, I don't listen to bands I don't like because the instrumentalists are good. Yeah. Because I, I yeah. don't like the music. And I'll listen, I can be like, okay, I guess, yeah, that's a, that guy's a good drummer, but like, I don't want to listen to this. It is yeah. not, I don't yeah. like it. <laughs> the guys in Screwdriver make just as good punk music as, you know, other shit, but they're Nazis. Always depend on Andrew to pull out a which, which bands are Nazis anecdote. <laughs> It's just, it's truly just like, what, what, like, what are you defending? Like, and it, it is the what thing that makes defending? me the, exactly. the most frustrated. And, and okay, actually, here's what my theory of what they are defending, which is that like, the people defending the shit are so afraid of what they have in their past that they need to try to hand wave this idea that like holding a microphone and talking and say, saying jokes is 
institutionally sacred rather than the words. Because, like, that is the thing that, like, that's their fear, is that this is out there. It could happen to anyone. It's like, no, it couldn't. Like, it could happen to bigots. (laughs) Could you imagine if (laughs) improvisers were like this? (laughs) Could you... (laughs) I mean, I'm sure there's some that are, but could you imagine if, like, some famous improviser got in trouble for, like, doing something racist and everyone was like, the yes and of improv is what holds our society together. Like, how embarrassing would that be? (laughs) I, okay. People have the right to make up sentences in response to their friends' sentences as a way to show society its inner workings. (laughs) This might be me lobbing easy bombs, but... As you do this run, I do think I've heard white improvisers say shit. Like that. <laughs> well, well, that's and that's I where just, satire sometimes is just you're just describing what's happening. Yeah, we did all of this to spare our lovely guest yep. from having to deal with this. So let's yep. let's just get right into. Uh, I guess probably a break and then Kendra James. I don't know. We'll we'll figure out the production. Yeah, yeah we're going to take Kevin, a break. Kevin's nodding. I don't know how this all works. Yeah, we'll talk to our lovely friend Kendra James about her new book, Admissions, right after this. We're back. We didn't start anything, but we're back. We're recording weirdly out of order. Um, it's a, You guys don't care about this. It doesn't matter. We have a guest. Uh, mm. We love our guest. You should know her well because if you listen to her episode of The Stacks recently... Um, you'll know her even better. And you're going to know her uh, much better after you buy and read and devour her book, Admissions, which is out everywhere now that you can uh, read for Black History Month. And our guest's name is Kendra James. Kendra, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's my energy. Yeah, (laughs) network synergy, definitely. Um, I don't know. That's what we're all about. (laughs) Yeah, we're definitely about organization and... Mm -hmm. um, Things were things working out well. I, I love the intro. You know her better if you've heard her on other podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I don't have so much hubris that I think we we've scooped anything. Like we don't have. We're never yeah. first. No, I love it. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Imagine you guys are, you're the first people that I like know well that I'm talking to. You've got that. Yes. Ooh, oh really? Great. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's fun. Good. Yeah. So we can ask you all kinds of personal questions. <laughs> you can. I mean, I really put a lot in that book, so uh, feel free. <laughs> it is that nice is actually to have a guest where we're like, okay, let, we do need to get 15 minutes of shit talk out of the way before we can start recording. <laughs> yeah. Just like clear the chamber. Just get it all yes. out. Yep. <laughs> Oh, I mean, Kendra and I fully had a three-hour brunch yesterday so that we could get our shit talk out of the way and not take up y'all's time, uh, the listeners, or you and and Kevin. (laughs) So we really, we really blew out the cobwebs and we're we're ready to just... It was really, it was just about saving Kev some, you know, some editing Mm -hmm. time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. You didn't want to have to cut out all of our... Yeah. Various grievances against giant media conglomerates. Cuts and bleeps. Cuts um, and bleeps. <laughs> um, so Kendra, I mean, the 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 current elevator pitch of, of Kendra is that uh, she produces shows at Crooked Media, um, fun shows like Keep It and Love It or Leave It, stuff that we've all done and been a part of. Um, mm-hmm. She used to produce uh, Star Trek The Pod Directive that Kevin and I worked on. She was also the managing editor of Star Trek.com. She was also the... Wait, were you the? What's the title at Shondaland? How's that work? I was, uh, I was a senior editor at Shondaland, but I was also the first employee at Shondaland.com. 
Wow, <laughs> got it. So uh, yeah. okay, so like if this was Squid Game, you were you were number one. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So and she also wrote a book about her experience being the first Black American legacy at Taft, an elite East Coast boarding school. The book's I love called firsts. Admissions. <laughs> oh yeah, you gotta be you gotta be the first everywhere. You're like the Neil Armstrong of being mm-hmm. black at places. Is yeah, that right? love that. <laughs> the book is so damn good. I devoured it. I laughed so hard. I saw so much of myself in a teen Kendra. And then so much of you, I was like, oh no, we are not similar, but I'm very much enjoying this person. <laughs> um, but I loved reading about your experience in a world that is so different from how I grew up, yet seeing how, I, I feel like we had some of the same uh, coping mechanisms, maybe, with being the only black people places. Um, I, I asked you this kind of off mic, but I was curious about, you know, you detail a lot of like microaggressions, but also just straight up racisms that your <laughs> fellow classmates did unto you during your time at Taft. And you've concealed everyone's identity beautifully, masterfully. I don't think anyone can really suss out who exactly you're talking about. But I wondered if any classmates, like who you said either good or bad things about, had reached out to confront you or yeah, <laughs> apologize, um, so- maybe? <laughs> Haven't gotten any apologies. Um, and not that I was expecting apologies. Like, honestly, their identities are like, pre- like you said, they're very well disguised and to a point where it's possible maybe they don't even recognize them. Well, no, that's a lie. The girl in in part three who wrote a really racist article, she recognizes herself. And I know she recognizes herself because I was told by another Black student that I went to Taft with that she did come up to her and like very awkwardly apologize one day when they ran ran into each other in D.C. Um, Mm. And it was like not a well-thought-out apology, I was told. Um, But no, I I haven't heard from her. Um, I haven't heard from the character Rachel. It's interesting. The people I have heard from, I've heard from a lot of Black and Latinx students who were at Taft with me. Um, And a lot of them are like, were basically like, hey, thank you for putting to paper the, a longer version of the multiple letters that we've had to like write to the school every Mm. year. Like, I feel like every other three years, there's sort of like an open letter campaign Mm -hmm. that that gets sent to the head of school and the board because some incident will have happened at the school that gets everyone riled up. Um, so I've heard a lot of, like, just thank you for putting it down. And then, um, interestingly, I've heard from, a, like, the white students that I've heard from have been, like, it's all been very, most of it has been very nice. It's been a lot of, like, thank you for, like, opening my eyes to, like, what was going on. Or they acknowledged that they had sort of seen what was going on while we were there, but, like, didn't, also didn't have the tools uh, necessary to like recognize what was happening or much less like fix it. Um, mm-hmm. And then I've heard from another sort of variety of white student, which has been really interesting, which are Jewish kids, because Taft is not a religious school, but there is a lot of like sort of Christian backbone. Like we have a chaplain mm-hmm. who I remember once asking, like, t- or telling, not even asking, I was like, you know, you don't do Wiccan prayers during sit down dinner. <laughs> Good, <laughs> not classic. That, like, Classic teen goth in the in the early aughts <laughs> yeah, question. Yeah. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> um, but so no, like a lot, like some Jewish students I've heard from have been like, there's two varieties. It's like one, hey, so I understand that this isn't the same thing, but I just wanted to let you know that I'm glad to have read this because it did highlight a lot of what I felt as a Jewish kid at mm. Taft. 
Um, and then there, I get the same variety of message without that sort of caveat where it's just like a direct one-to-one equation, which, you know, um, I'm happy that they're experiencing their feelings. <laughs> sure, <laughs> um, sure. um, and also like one of those notes did sort of like try to ask me like why I did not write about that. The white Jewish ostracization because I am not a white Jewish student and also because interestingly enough like I didn't know you were Jewish because because of sort of like the the heavy Christian trappings uh, Mm. of the school like I guess maybe you weren't comfortable being your full self while you were there so how was I supposed to know that Mm -hmm. yeah so it's it's been like a really interesting mix and then there are just like the few white people who are like very angry um, sure. and sure, sure. are like, this is a one-dimensional view of what an independent school is. How dare you try to make the independent school take uh, take responsibility for what their students were doing? So those are oh, sort weird. of the, the categories. Right. What you, do they you think have a, a really... school is? Right. I know. <laughs> Especially a school, an independent school that supposedly carefully vets and combs through what people they're going to admit, especially in the age of social media. You didn't go so long ago that there, I mean, Facebook was still a little bit, a little ways off, but there was still enough internet presence that if they want to find out if their student is a racist, they could have fucking done it. And they certainly can now. You have a really great line that I'm going to butcher that was something akin to racism is not tolerated at, at Taft, yet they seem to manage to find a few slots for them every year. Yes. <laughs> yep. I mean, and it's it's like so true because like by the time and it in this in that same section, I say like by the time you get to October, essentially as a black kid or a Latinx kid at Taft, you will have experienced already like some for either immediately traumatizing form of racism or something that is just going to stick with you until you're 25 and like start going to therapy because you finally have health insurance. Um, so it's, it's like, it's, it's, even if it's not immediate, it's going to sneak up on you, uh, in the end. One of the other things I really loved about the book is that, you know, it, it definitely, you detail some, like, some specific traumas that happened to you or, or that happened to your friends. And you detailed the, like, sort of ill-equipped way that the, the school was not equipped to help you all as children be equipped to handle some of these things. But the other thing that I I loved was that you're really honest about your privilege coming in, even though you were a black student, one of what, one of 12 in your graduating class? I was, no, so there were, by the time we graduated, there were six black girls and four black boys. But two of the black girls who graduated with us didn't show up until senior year because one transferred in. Senior year was Katrina, the summer, well, the summer before senior year was Katrina, for us, so we took a bunch of kids in from Louisiana independent schools. And so got we got a, another Black girl that way. And then we had a PG um, Black girl with a postgrad, meaning that she had finished high school in her own, like she was from somewhere in Africa. And so she had finished high school there, was coming over to do a PG year at Taft to sort of like get acclimated to America before starting college. Right. So these weren't even um, students that you had gotten to know over your time there. So essentially, no. we're talking about like 10 students or less than 10. And uh, you you really detail how both you being a legacy, your dad went to Taft in the 70s, um, you being a legacy and just like your level of socioeconomic privilege, how that separated you from even some of the few black people that you should have had more in common with there and how kind of how you were getting culture shock on all sides, which is, I think, really fascinating and important, especially for non-Black people to read about these types of experiences. They need to know that we don't all just show up and find the other five Black people and immediately gel. They need to know that yep. that's also a strange <laughs> entry process where you're like, 
what the fuck? We're allowed to wear braids? Wait, what's going on? Yeah, because like, uh, honestly, like if you had asked my mom, like, uh, I I think about this and like, I obviously like, I love my mom very much and like, she did her best. Um, But the kids that I like became friends with at Taft, like, were not the people that she would have been encouraging me to hang out with in Maplewood, New Jersey. Like, there was a very sort of unspoken, or not even unspoken, just like, the way I was taught to identify who was a good kid and who was not a good kid was really based Mm -hmm. on uh, the public school system's leveling system. Because basically, in Maplewood South Orange schools, classes are leveled. So you can be in level two, three, or four. Obviously, it's very hard for a Black kid to, A, get into level four, and then it is easier for them, once they're in level four, to fall down a level than it is for Mm. a white kid. Like, the ACLU investigated our school system um, because it was bad. And actually, a kid in my graduating class then made a documentary about it. So for me, it was very much like, okay, the Black kids in level four, those are the Black kids that I'm allowed to hang out with. Uh, approved yeah upwardly mobile (laughs) and like a lot of them like looked like me like they all had perms they were all like kind of from the area of town that I lived in which was not like the best area but like they were approved by my parents like my my mom spent time with their parents um Mm -hmm. and my mom very pointedly didn't spend time with other sorts of like black kids parents so that was just like how I sort of absorbed yeah, and you talk a lot about like the respectability politics that you were raised with and how that sort of that did you a disservice when you were then, you know, meeting other black people from different backgrounds, how it, you know, you had to recalibrate in terms of like how you were perceiving these yeah. people as potential friends, potential peers. Yeah, stuff. completely. I feel like it's like one generation of like you see it it's like a coping mechanism that makes sense that comes with immense cost, like from the mm-hmm. our parents' generation. We're like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, you get what they're getting at. Like, they're wrong, probably, but like, mm-hmm. it's like understandable. It's sort of the, the like, whatever your politics are in LA, like, people are like, oh, but I, sh- I would rather send my kid to a private school or whatever. And it's just yeah. like the wrong thing, but like, gah. No, and I fully get that because like, Having a Black kid in a public school is also really, really hard. Like, you have, like Mm -hmm. I said, like, our school system was leveled. Like, my mom had to do a lot of work to make sure that I stayed in level four. Because by rights, I should not have been a level four math or science student. But she really, really wanted me there because she understood, like, what the importance was of that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, the other thing I want to tell people about, first of all, our listeners are great. And they actually, like, do things Except for a few of you. Just kidding. Yeah, Sorry. you know who you are. And you I know just wanted to put in a thread um, just to keep it. You no, know, you're right. Got to keep them scared. <laughs> Go ahead. Got to keep them scared. Um, but no, no, I was just going to say that with the exception of a few of you, you know what you did. Um, our listeners are amazing and they actually do things and support things when we ask them to. And they, you know, they jump on their little fingers on the Internet and they buy things to support artists and creators that we have come on here. So Y'all get out your credit cards and go buy Kendra's book because it's Black History Month and you need to learn some shit. Um, I'm doing the call to action now just because I don't want y'all to forget or like skip the end of the episode, but I will remind you again. Okay, Mm -hmm. so buy Kendra's book. It's called Admissions. Um, But one thing I wanted to point out is that, you know, especially in Black History Month, there's a lot of like encouraging of reading, you know, tough stories about hard R racism. (laughs) And that is very important. And there are some tough things that happen in Kendra's book. But also, 
there is just so much joy and weirdness about what a strange, lovely teen you were. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking, Kendra was writing fanfic, uh, this obsession with Orlando Bloom for some reason. So uh, bad. Putting a hex, <laughs> putting a hex on her roommate uh, in order to try and get a single dorm room. Like, it, there's <laughs> there's so much uh, uh, just, like, I don't know. I just really delighted in, like, the black girl weirdness that I also think is important for <laughs> white people to see so they know we're not a monolith. Um, so, I, yeah. So, if you're... <laughs> If if you're if you're done reading all your hard R you know slave journal <laughs> racism <laughs> trauma things, this this could be a palate cleanser in a lot of ways. I I mean I hope so. I do like to say I think I've written the only memoir that references the character of Alti from Xena. She was the uh, Amazonian witch that Xena has to fight occasionally. I'm gonna allow yeah I'm gonna allow that. I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and say you you did yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that that hex worked. Uh, my roommate left. And uh, then they never gave me another roommate. And it was never it was that was crazy. Because like, not only she left, she had done she basically long story short, she had done some some soft R racisms uh, in commenting <laughs> on my hair. And so I decided to draw a pentagram on the floor in chalk on our rug. And set it up like we were doing a spell uh, so that she would be terrified when uh, when she came back to the room after field hockey practice. She was. She then actually, <laughs> if it, she didn't even, like, she did not graduate. Like, she left at some point. I have no idea, like, when it was, but she was gone. Um, because of school, you. Because of your hex you put on mm-hmm. her. I mean, it, what's the statue of limitations? I'm not going to take, you know, <laughs> full <laughs> credit for that. Um, I'm sure there are other things going on. <laughs> but... Yeah, no, I never had another roommate again, like, the entire time. And that was kind of unheard of. I didn't even request singles. I actually requested to live with my best friend both years, and it just never (laughs) happened. Wow. (laughs) They said, no, we can't let you two do that. Yeah. (laughs) Can't let you do that. Um, Yeah, how important was it to you in writing it to, like, not only represent your your experience as just the type of Black woman that you are and, and were, how important was it to accurately represent that of your friends? You've got some other good, like, retur- recurring characters in there. Um, did you feel a pressure to to show them specifically as... I, yeah, I guess I mean, like, how much of the, the nuance of, like, this type of Latinx person is very specific in this way? Uh, how yeah. important was that to you? I mean, for me, it was, like, actually... It was a little easier, I think, than maybe for some people. Because there are some conversations in the book that I... So I saved every AIM conversation that I had from about the year, like, 2004 through until, like, 2011, 2012. Oh, I terrifying. just have, yeah, it's Terri- bad. It's I don't terrifying. do that anymore. I don't do it anymore. Um, <laughs> but I Because it's on Slack. Right, well, yeah. no, no, no. I need to make it clear. I am not saving my Slack messages. <laughs> I leave that up to Slack. I leave that up to mm-hmm, Slack, mm-hmm, the company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um But yeah, so I have this huge record and it was to the point where it was like, I even have the conversations where it was just like, hi, and then I didn't respond. So for (laughs) a lot of my friends, I was able to actually just like take their words and put them back in their mouths. Um, Wow. So it, there was like a pressure to represent, but I never felt like I had to lean too much on like memory or stereotype even or even like mm. to put them in boxes because like I just have this this full record of who they were as people. 
Wow. And yeah, and you were an extensive journaler too. So I mean, everything, all the dialogue reads very true. And that's probably because you were literally lifting it from when you wrote it, when you transcribed it. (laughs) Yes. That is super cool. That must be so refreshing because my fear with like writing something like that would be like, so many people are going to be like, that's not how that went down. Like it was this, not that. And having all of that, just like binders of like the facts must be like the strongest backbone to have when like, reflecting on everything it is like and in some ways like that's why like also when i talk about it i also have to remind people that like it's not sort of the blueprint experience of Mm -hmm. a black person at a boarding school it's just my experience because with the journal entries especially specifically i did write this knowing that i am remembering things a as i remember them and i then have to trust what i wrote then as sort of like an accurate memory and understand that like a friend of mine might remember something like slightly differently so like it's super useful to have those contemporaneous or like yeah like james comey memos essentially yeah (laughs) Um, (laughs) but but, like i did try to like allow space for like okay someone else was certainly feeling something different at the time yeah uh, than what i was (laughs) wow yeah you're very like honest about your perspective and the lack of you know, maybe the lack of awareness you might have had at the time of what other people were feeling. So it reads very yes. honest. And you don't you don't always make yourself look great, which uh, I thought took took us a, a certain amount of courage. Um, OK, we, we want to get to the voicemails. But just before we do, I wanted to ask, um, I know you talk a lot about uh, maybe in the epilogue, you talk a lot about, you know, this school has not had very many black students at all. And I think you said there have only been three black American legacies. You were the first. And then I think, you know, the other two, um, what you've talked about, like your, the responsibility you still feel to kind of go back for alumni events and show your face. And do, do you consider that like truly part of your responsibility to make it feel welcoming for students behind you? I wouldn't even use the word like welcoming. I, for me, it's like just helping them get through it. Cause I know that there's, I mean, I'm in LA. So there's no way I am making this school feel welcoming for them mm-hmm. on like a daily basis. But mm-hmm. um, basically like in June of 2020, things sort of like blew up again with all the independent schools. Um, and I had been involved and in, like doing stuff prior to that. Like I was involved in, uh, heavily involved in like one of the open letter writing campaigns that happened after a few incidents on campus in like 2017, 2018. Um, and I had always gone back for alumni weekends, even when it wasn't my anniversary year. Um, mm. But what I consider my like responsibility right now is to like participate in the alumni of color slash student of color events and just like be mm. there as someone that students can talk to um, mm-hmm. like openly and honestly. And I've had like I've had students reach out. I've also had parents of current students reach out and, like, connect me with their kids directly, like, via email. And so, like, that's the kind of thing where even if, like, the school and I'll, you know what? I'm going to say it. I'll fully understand if they don't invite me to, like, speak there. I get it. (laughs) Um, But, like, they're not keeping me out of these uh, alumni to student connecting events. And so, like, that for Mm. me is very important to participate in just to give them a voice and a perspective as like a relatively still young alumni. Yeah. As someone who had a recent experience there. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. That's awesome. Um, Okay. Should we take a little break, get into some voicemails and then, yeah. And then we'll remind you all where to buy the book admissions and then we'll let you, we'll let you go home. If you're not in your home, (laughs) everyone can 
<laughs> Everyone can go, go inside. I know yeah. you've been. We we do ask you to stand outside while you're listening, yeah. but soon you will get to yeah. go inside. Guys, I've been going listening to this podcast incorrectly. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah it's, not the, it's not the right. So thing. sorry. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, okay, so just a quick little break. we back let's kick the first voicemail i have not listened to any of these i don't know Ooh. what's gonna happen here we go hi so i just came back from a visit to brazil uh, where my family is from and while i was visiting rio uh, i noticed that there are a lot of favela tours um for those of you who aren't familiar with what a favela is it's like an unofficial um, neighborhood settlement where a lot of mostly black and darker skinned Brazilians live and they're considered to be super dangerous um, and for some reason <laughs> there are tours in these neighborhoods and I found that to be very strange and the people I saw going to these on these tours were most, mostly westerners or lighter skinned Brazilians so and you know the the whole because they're afraid to go by themselves, like they're going in these jeeps with a tour guide, and the tour guide, you know, takes photos of them. And I truly didn't even understand why people were doing this. It just seemed very strange. And I looked up online, and it said that it's a good way to support the local community um, because you're, you know, you're buying food there, or like drinks or whatever. I don't know. That seems really fucking racist to me. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to get your thoughts on it, like. I feel like if you want to support, if you want to support equity in all the neighborhoods in Rio, there are other ways to do that, like donating to a nonprofit, looking up, you know, what city council person needs to be voted in and like donating to their campaign. I know these are options that take more work, but I don't know, a tour of a neighborhood to just look at these, you know, poor black people seems really fucking racist to me. What are your thoughts? Thanks. Y'all never been on a poverty safari? <laughs> so I lived this. I didn't live it in like a dangerous neighborhood, but I lived in Harlem for years. And this shit, mm -hmm. I hate this shit. Yeah. I would walk out of my house on a Sunday morning at like, just like when my hair wrapped to like go to Dwayne Reed or whatever or brunch. And literally you walk outside and just are accosted either by people like directly coming up to you. And it's mostly like, a, it was a lot of like Dutch Scandinavian white people coming up to you, A, like, where's the music? Where can I find the music? Which means, <laughs> oh they're so they're looking for church. I'm like, oh. I don't, yeah, yeah, because they all come up to Harlem on Sunday mornings. They form these club lines outside of churches to get in. Oh, Sometimes displacing the actual churchgoers. Um, I don't know if that's like still so much of a problem, but it was when I was there. Um, but also just like, yeah, I, I hate this kind of tourism. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. It sounds so wild. And yeah, it does sound like like what you're describing, what the caller's describing, like there are other ways to support the neighborhood. Like I get going there and buying. I think to me, it's the doing it in a group and in a Jeep that has yeah. bothered yeah. me the most. Because yeah. <laughs> it seems like if you're just a two, two people, you could go a little less ob obtrusively yeah, and just like go through a neighborhood and buy things and support local vendors and maybe don't walk up to a woman running her errands and ask where is the music. <laughs> yeah, um. <laughs> but also also the idea that you need like essentially implicitly or possibly explicitly like 
protection. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to like go to Harlem on a Sunday. Right. Or yeah. it's like, okay. What? Like you need a group. Oh. Yeah. yeah. It was never Oof. two people. It was always like six to 10 people just like yeah, also no. walking 10 abreast on the sidewalk. Of course. <laughs> that's, that's the New York problem too, though. Yeah. It's like fucking. I mean, on. in general, I wish people would adopt more of a leave no trace approach to traveling where like your, your goal is to like, your goal should be to go experience a place as it, as it is and to leave as small of a footprint as possible while supporting the people who live and work there. So why why do you want to bring 10 people at once and go barrel down the sidewalk and displace a bunch of black people in the church? Because if, if you're all yeah. Dutch people in the church, you're not getting the experience you want anyway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of the same with the, the favela thing. It's because it's fear. It's just like, yeah. I am literally too afraid to do this by myself or with like... Right you know, a, a reasonable group of people. So you go and like form like a protective bubble. And, but the, you know, this is, this is sort of the like, I, I will say, I think multiple times we have from a relative position of privilege been like, just do the thing, you know, just whatever. Yeah, sure. And, and we do have privileges of like, sort of like, I mean, there's, there's class, there's like elements of like, I don't know if this is like a privilege, privilege, but just like fluency with people of color. So you're not like afraid. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My privilege is that I'm not is scared that a privilege? of black people. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't, uh, as I said it, I was like, okay, well, I'm not helping my point, but it's a fact. <laughs> um, yeah. No, no, but I, I, I guess I, I am like cognizant that sometimes we say shit, especially in like this sort of situation that's like easy for us to say. Sure. Um, yeah. We have the money know. to r hire uh, one person to drive us in a car. Yeah. To go if to we want. Yeah. Right, right. Right. Or like, you know, just like a little bit more comfort. So we know that like, look, even a quote unquote rough neighborhood, it's like, it's also like daytime on a Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Also like nobody's <laughs> thinking about you. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. the fuck do you, you know, so, and, and whatever, like we've been able to travel more, you know, whatever for, for reasons, but it is like, so so I am a little weirdly, especially for me, weirdly sympathetic to the idea that like, look, if you are just like a petrified white person who kind of wants to do the right thing, there there possibly is some kind of value in something like this. I, I And I maybe say that in a theoretical sense because I've never once seen it actually executed in a good way. So maybe I'm just like, you know, talking theory about some shit that doesn't exist <laughs> but like you're like right yeah. it's like okay it's not like terrible that's like i don't know how to navigate this world and i would like some help um but it yeah. does always become just poverty people for a uh, safari i almost said ferrari because i'm poverty in ferrari yeah poverty ferrari Ooh, i like that indie band um it i also feel like i can very easily see the way we can very easily see the way in which this is bad and a, and a terrible um safari among people's hardships and and i'm sure by not having a ton of information i haven't experienced these tours before there is a yeah. world that 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 there's a a better, maybe even a good way to do this. Maybe it is run by actual local people. Maybe, you know, yeah. it's it's done in a more sensitive way than it just appeared to this person who mm. caught a glimpse of them. I'm guessing, though, this person has family right. from Brazil. They visited a lot. <laughs> Their assessment of it is probably pretty, no, pretty close. Yeah, right. <laughs> of course. 
but I could see a world in which, you know, I mean, I went to um, uh, Comarca de Gunayana, which is the indigenous nation, island nation outside of Panama. It used to be called the San Blas Islands, but it's it's an in, it's a sovereign indigenous nation and the only way to get there is to hire a person from that nation to take you in a boat and to go over there and you can spend a couple of days on the island you just like buy stuff and hang out and you know the infrastructure is limited and you just kind of try to like not take up too much space but it just i don't know it's one of those like you know it when you see it like you can just tell the people that are yeah. actually from that community welcoming you to a place that they live and then you can see the like huge tour operators that are doing yeah. it in an exploitative manner. Yeah, I mean, it's also, it's like about, it was always about the money for me, like when I saw it being done in Harlem, because like one of the things that I was always concerned with, or and also that the churches would be concerned with, was uh, the amount that was going into the communion uh, mm-hmm. pot. And so mm-hmm. like, I think about like, even on the Flavella tours, it's like, are they doing that? Like, what is the rate that is being paid? Like, are we tipping yeah. afterwards? Mm. Are like, are we actually spending money that really means something? Or mm-hmm. are we just giving pen? Are we just knowing that yeah. this is pennies to the dollar or something that we can afford? And that's yeah. all we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I feel like sometimes we give this advice and we get people responding like, well, you know, you don't understand, though it might be ultimately racist, like the alternative is nothing. And like, this is money into an economy or whatever. Um, which it, which is like this thing where it's just like, I guess it's like, if the racist version is racist, but somewhat positive version uh, is the alternative to that is nothing. Like, y- you know, is that wrong? Yeah, I don't. I don't think that the alternative is ever nothing. I think the alternative right. is doing more research to find the best possible version of the the racist the thing. thing. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's definitely right, right, right. a you know, <laughs> you want to go hiking in the coffee region in Vietnam, you can definitely hire um, some exploitative German company to take you, or you can hire. Here's a little plug for Sapa Sisters, which is a group of hill walking women. They run the company themselves, and you can hire them directly to take you, you know, into this tricky terrain where you really should have a guide and you shouldn't be doing it yourself. Yeah. So. So it just takes a little bit of research to be like, what's the best way to get dollars in the hands of these folks and the least obtrusive way to these folks way of life for me to come experience some yeah. small part of their world? Yeah. Just takes I think the one looking. that I, I see the most is um, for Solidarity and Snacks when we're on Skid Row destroying stuff on Saturdays. Invariably, there's like these groups and you can always tell because they all have either vests or the same like polo shirt on of like white. <laughs> I assume Christians, I guess. I, I'm mm. not positive. But they are, you know, usually like handing out some sort of supplies. I don't love the religious proselytization that also usually happens with it. It doesn't always. And also mm-hmm. people, residents of Skid Row don't seem to mind. There's a lot of um, religion out there. That's okay. Um, but there is a thing where I'm like, I, you never, and this is me like gatekeeping, like in a probably not cool way. But <laughs> there is like an element of like, they are doing you know, a good thing, but as tourists. Like, you never see the same kids twice. Like, it's just like, they're just doing their little, like, oh, I saw an unhoused person today, or I helped out once. Um, Mm. It's the same as, like, the people that just, like, um, you know, Solidarity and Snacks took the weekend of Christmas off um, because that's, like, the most, like, single day of resources that get poured into, like, that thing. It was just, like, you know... The the that's the day that like 
it's all the other days that shit <laughs> like needs to happen. Like people yeah. don't get any less like um, there, there are no fewer needs just because it happens to not be Christmas. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but it's this thing where I'm like, I, you know, I, I have this like gut reaction of like a sneer and a fuck those guys. But mm -hmm. the reality is like, they do bring things to the community and it's like a part of it. And it's not like nothing. Um, I think they're absolutely doing it for the wrong reasons. They're absolutely doing it um, for selfish reasons. Um, however, mm -hmm. you know, also so yeah. am I like, you know, it's like, I just, I, I think I put in a little more work, but whatever. And like, not, and sorry, not just me. This is the me of I'm an asshole. And then like groups <laughs> that are like consistent, whatever are better. But I don't know. It's just like, uh, there's also the like, are we being gatekeepers? Is this like, you know, is is something better than nothing is what I struggle with. I, Tony, you already answered that. Or both, you know, everyone knows I already answered that. I'm just like reiterating my stupid spiel. Donate to Solidarity and Snacks, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. We've given you three direct to, did we give you three? I gave you Sapa Sisters. Mm -hmm. I gave you mm -hmm. the Comarca de Gunayala folks. Uh, mm hmm and, and Solidarity and Snacks. Well, and yeah. much more important, buy Kendra's book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hardcover, oh, yeah. audio, Kindle. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, let's kick one more voicemail, and then we will tell you even more places to buy Kendra's book admissions. <laughs> Here we go. Hi, Andrew, Tony, Kevin, Impossible Guest. I'm half Chinese and half white and live in the Bay Area. I'm married to what you and Tracy have referred to as one of the good white husbands. We both love listening to your show every week, and I'm excited to finally call in. So it's one of our biggest pet peeves when a friend, family member, or stranger starts telling us about an encounter they have with someone, and they have to start by telling you the person's race or ethnicity. It's rarely okay. ever relevant to the story, and it's especially cringy when it's a negative encounter because then it just feels like they're generalizing that group of people. I also feel so distracted by this that I can barely focus on what the person is saying, and instantly just want to default to disagreeing with them and just being an ass. I know they might not always be racist, but I'd like to know your suggestions for how to call this out in a way that won't just shut down the conversation or relationship, but will help the person to actually make some changes in how they think or speak. Anyway, I love you as this racist and you can we live and appreciate you all sharing your experiences and talents with the world. Aww. Wish you were a friend. <laughs> Thank you for considering my voicemail. Oh, oh so nice. How, man, this level of politeness, we do not deserve. We do not deserve that. And we're about crying. to show you why we don't deserve it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As someone no. who loves to put a parenthetical, yes, they were, after I tell a story about a white person on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't think I ever have advice that... Uh, includes or is encapsulated within the caveat of that doesn't destroy the relationship or shut down the conversation because that's <laughs> mostly where my advice leads so <laughs> anyone else um i guess I just would be like, like no <laughs> i mean i want to be like no get those people out of your life but who knows maybe you live in some wild place and you're just you're trying to just have friends as best you can um yeah the bay area though the bay area they start oh right she said bay yep. area Yep. Never mind. Um, <laughs> you can find all kinds of people, but uh, the just just as soon as the the racial identifier comes out, just interrupt them and be like, "Is that important to the story?" Yeah, or just like force them to tell you why they told you that. Like, oh wait, why did you point that detail out? Why did you need to tell me that? And then they'll go like, "Oh no, oh 
No, I was just like describing the, they never have a reason and they're always caught off guard to have to think about it. But I think so much of um, people not doing well (laughs) in discussions about race is just, they're not comfortable talking about it. And so if you force them to articulate why they had to say this Mexican guy or whatever they said, you know, it doesn't have to be contentious, but you can just go like, why did you include that? Yeah. Yeah. There've been a few times where I've, where I've asked, like, after someone drops a racial detail that is, like, just clearly not necessary in a conversation, I'll just be like, what kind of glasses were they wearing? Or, like, what kind of jeans? <laughs> or, like, what kind of pants? And then uh, they, they don't know. They don't remember anything else. And I'm like, right. well, yeah. that, <laughs> that tells like, me all I need to know. All right, racist Sherlock Holmes. Like, yeah. looks like you caught all the details you needed. <laughs> I like that. I told this story, I mean, years ago on the podcast when Nate and I went on a camping trip and this dumbass white woman that was with us, um, <laughs> who I never spoke to again, these, this uh, <laughs> couple pulled up at the camping spot next to us and it was like an off-road spot where you had to take like off-road vehicles to get to. And they were in, they were very LA type like city slicker off-road people. And so they were charging. <laughs> I know I just said city slicker unironically. Don't at me. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were listen. But this is the this is why they were charging their iPad and iPhone by leaving their fucking car running in nature. So they just had this <laughs> monster off road vehicle just revving at a campsite for like twenty minutes. So they could charge their devices, and we were like clowning them because we were just like, oh my god, they're like over there charging their thing because we had gone over to say hi. And this dumbass white woman who didn't go over to say hi goes, well, are they white? And Nate just goes, why are you asking that? Like, why does that fucking matter? They're idiots for charging their cell phones. Why do you care what, whether they're white or not? She goes, actually, she goes, well, like, what are they like? Are they like normal? And he's like, I don't know how to answer that. They're charging their phones with their car. So no, they're not normal. And she goes, well, I mean, are they white? I was like, oh, God, get me out of this canyon. Conversely, like, I do a lot of like sports where there aren't a lot of black people and it is also Mm -hmm. like very funny when i'm like at an ice rink and someone is trying to describe like maybe the one other black kid there and they're trying to do it without Mm -hmm. saying the word black like that is that's always very funny to me because they'll be like they're doing the and they clearly don't know the word for like the jumps or like the the footwork Um, that they're doing ice skates what else what else Mm. they don't seem too cold uh, yeah. <laughs> I know it's like it's all it's equally as weird when they're going out of their way to not say black when it's like yeah. that would be the quickest yeah. way to tell me I guess it's like the function of the conversation yeah. right mm-hmm. like what's the quickest yeah. way to tell me who you're talking about in a without knowing anything else about this group of people we're talking about it's okay mm-hmm. to say oh that's it's the black woman yes. yeah but yeah if you're telling a story about how someone cut you off in traffic telling us that they're Chinese is only yeah. going to only suggests yeah something that you shouldn't be suggesting yeah. yeah kind of the snotty another thing that would be funny is like follow it up with the story where you hammer in details about a white person that have nothing to do with it to see if they clock it of like oh man that was pretty nuts so this white guy like <laughs> yeah yeah they'd be like oh why did you say that oh i just did that even as yeah. as we're talking it is this thing where i'm like it is essentially the like pornography defense, not defense of like process of like, we'll know it mm. when you know, it when you see it. Um, but I think all of us like, like the, like, yeah, not like taking pains to not say someone's race and extraneously saying someone's race. Both of those, I don't know about equally racist. Let's see. 
are racist. One I think is more racist than the other, but like one, <laughs> one indicates your complete uh, discomfort in just talking about race in general, yeah. which is its own problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so there's that. But it is a thing where like, I, I could see how someone listening to us, although if they're still listening to us, why? Um, <laughs> would be like, so you can't win. You know, like, how well, How can you do this? What's the... And and I I will sort of say, we've been doing this show for a long time, and we've all been people of color, sorry, Kevin, uh, for a long time. Uh, but it is very sorry. hard to articulate exactly what, like, the rule is other than you just know. Other than so don't like, be weird is the rule. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But it is like, it, it, that is like simply not actionable <laughs> or or illuminating in any way. But why is it that there's plenty of white people that we all know who don't seem to have a problem with it? Like, yeah. there clearly yeah. is some kind of rule. Maybe we need them to host this class and teach each other what they're doing right. Yeah. I. But, that, right, it's just like... It's, it's, it is just like a lot of like operational knowledge. We're just like, it's very hard to, no, not oper- implicit knowledge. It's hard to operationalize. Like we all know it, yeah, but like knowledge. writing down the steps to do it is like, I don't fucking know. There's no flow chart. Yeah. Right. Well, there probably is. It's just, how would you draw it? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like. I know. And we could sit here and try to come up with the rules of like, if it's germane to the story or if you're identifying mm-hmm. whatever. But yeah. then I'm sure it's going to be flawed, and there's instances where you're like, actually, no, don't do any of that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know what to tell you, listeners. Just that, uh, y- you're, just don't I, be I guess fucking you're gonna... weird. <laughs> well, because uh, part of it is that, like, it, this is as far as like internet stuff goes, like the sort of like Twitter to blog to podcast pipeline, as far as like <laughs> levels of granularity, right? Like, we can go deeper than you know the thing to that y- you can always we can go deeper, and. Maybe that's it. It's like we're we're gonna this episode's gonna be an hour, maybe over an hour. And you know, and this body of work and every other person of color speaking forever. Um, that is not enough detail. Or maybe all of it taken together is enough detail, but it, it, it is not enough detail to, to express how this decision gets made. So put in a lot more work maybe more work than there are hours left in in <laughs> the heat of the sun but <laughs> like <laughs> i like that but, <laughs> your work is never done yeah maybe that's it just keep trying uh so caller uh keep yeah we don't know it. get rid of these people <laughs> yeah <laughs> caller, as usual them. yeah interrupt, interrupt them. them and be like why yeah maybe that's okay this is this is the thing i've said before which is that like um, although the caller seems interested in not uh, disrupting the relationship. And I, I, I understand that from a like social standpoint. And I know that when I say, just fuck it, disrupt the relationship, it, it, that's glib. But what I mean is, when you, dis- when you think you're disrupting the relationship or being rude or, or making someone uncomfortable in their whiteness and they react badly, they actually mm-hmm. have told you quite a lot about who they really are. Yep. They and told you all of it. Yeah. And I think that is actual valuable information because a good yep. white person would not would be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know. I won't do, you know. Yeah. And the best white person will be so comfortable with the call out that they'll just be like, oh, yeah, that was weird. And just move on. Like they yeah. also won't then make a big deal out of a weird apology. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> was the implication that this is like about her like 
husband's family. Yeah. A little, I guess. yeah. I know. She did mention his race. Yes. Get, um, get rid of him. Notice you mentioned your husband's race. <laughs> <Just Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know we say this a lot, but like it could be a thing of like telling your husband like, hey, your dad said the weirdest thing. Can you like, please like, so you don't have Can to you put it on yourself yeah. of like, if yeah. that happened, you should, you know, the partner yeah. could be like, dad, don't fucking say it. Like, shut white up. White partners, step the fuck up. Yeah. And that's like, mm-hmm. if you, I, I have a white partner and like, sometimes like it, those are just the conversations you have to be prepared to have. Yeah. 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 Just, yeah. you got to handle this. Yep. It's not, um, not fun, not fair sometimes, but yeah. Is that the best we got? It's the more, same old, it's, it's same old shit as we always say. Look, w- this is incredible. We had Kendra James here helping us yes. navigate these things. We're done so much better than most of our episodes. Um, Kendra, tell people the best place to buy admissions, a okay. memoir about boarding school. If you if you want to be really great, you're going to go to a place like IndieBound or you're going to go to like bookshop.org and you're going to order it from your local bookstore. Now, I understand that that's not plausible for everyone. So you can also go to one of the larger conglomerates, type mm-hmm, it in mm-hmm. in the search bar there, and it will come right up. And it'll have several options for you that might not be available at the local bookstore. <laughs> oh, I like this. Okay, so we've given yeah. you the more effort, more researched, uh, uh, the best possible way. And if that's not available to you, it's still okay. You're still supporting. Um, great bookstore in LA called The Salt Eaters. I don't know if you know if it's there. Um, great black-owned indie bookstore. Oh, I didn't know about Salt Eaters. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, if it's not there, um, write to them and ask them to carry it. I hear that Please works do. sometimes too. Oh, wait, and I guess... I just realized I should say I'm doing a talk in LA at the Skylight Bookstore on February 18th. I love right. Skylight. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So uh, come out great. and see that. On cool. the 18th, that's open to anyone in, in the LA area? Cool. Open to anyone. That's awesome. Open to anyone. Oh, you come yeah. see, talk to Kendra Again, except face to for face. you know you know if it's not <laughs> right, open to right. you. Yeah, Rachel, you know Emma, come <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, the juiciness from this book, y'all! It uh, it really satisfied it satisfied my need for petty gossip about people I don't know. I love it so much. Um, well, Kendra, we can't thank you enough, and thanks yeah, to our thanks listeners so much for, for always being, here. being so supportive yeah. and all those things. Um, I'm sure we'll see you, Kendra, in the in the crooked media universe when we're over there. I know. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell people how to follow you on socials? Do you want that sort of thing? Yeah, that's fine. Um, so I am at Kendra James underscore on both Twitter and Instagram. The adult film star who shares my name is back on Twitter now. So please don't get us confused. Okay, <laughs> it has happened got before. It. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, this book was a I, lot different than they talked about on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> This book was a video. Um, great. And do you want to point people to where they can find your X-Men fanfic or? Um... Um, Hell yeah. I'm, you know what? I'm going to say, well, no, you know what? I'm really lucky. So I never wrote X-Men fanfic. I did X-Men RP and all of those sites, like, are, they're gone. Now, I have oh. all the backups. Wow. <laughs> of course you do. Um, but no, those, thank God those are gone. I am still friends <laughs> with quite a lot of those people, though. So. There you go. I love yeah. this detail about you. Um, all right. Well, you know where to find us. You don't need our handles. Fuck it. Uh, no, this is the show yeah. every week. Call in 323-389-7223. Uh, that's 323-389-RACE. Actually, you need Kevin's handle. It's Kevin J. Bartelt, both places. That's, yep. that's Gotta follow Kevin. Gotta follow Kevin. 
no no adult porn stars with the same name that i know of but <laughs> yeah not yet not yet, not yet. Mm-hmm. besides you Still time. besides you besides me right. yeah hey this episode comes out in two days so anything can change <laughs> <laughs> anything can change we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh suboptimalpods.com the place where we do all of our independently supported premium shows that mm, don't have to do with racism but sometimes they kind of do uh we have a premium <laughs> show every friday called yo can we live we do watch alongs we do musicy things it's just a wild grab bag of fun little content things and it's the best way to support this show so if we helped you out yeah. or you love listening to us for free every week there are some really easy ways to go and um and support us and you know it doesn't have to be a full-fledged membership yeah. So go check that out, suboptimalpods.com or the Instagram at suboptimalpods. I'm tired now. I was tired before we started. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Th- Kendra, thank you so thank much you, for Kendra. being here. Thanks for having me. This is suboptimal.